I'm feeling a little insecure about my grind, man. What's what's what what, what you grind it? What are you grinding? You got uh you got like uh you got you got like blade grinder, you got like burr grinder, you got like a mortar and pestle, you got a mill. What are do, you doing? Do people really use mortar and pestle to make coffee? God, I hope not, but I'm sure some <laughs> asshole is. Uh, actually, if you make Turkish coffee or um uh uh let's see, there's other places that they do that too, where you grind the coffee incredibly fine. Often you do that in a mortar and pestle. Wow, yeah. that's that's intense. Uh, we've got a we've got the Oxo uh, burr grinder that Wirecutter recommended. I know it's not some fancy Italian brand, but uh, it seems to get the job done. Well, so the secret on burr grinders is that you don't need like the fact that it is a burr grinder is the important thing. For a really really long time, my burr grinder was I think a Betty Crocker or like it's like a it was like a grocery store brand burr grinder that okay. you could get for like thirty five dollars yeah. in nineteen ninety five. And I used that thing until the motor died. Like it was okay. It, it was good. Like it, like the quality of the grinder matters a ton if you're doing espresso because you want a fine. You want an even distribution yeah, of very of ground very sizes. consistent. Yeah, granule size, right? But okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, the mere act of burr grinding is enough. Before this, we had a yeah, we had like a thirty dollar compresso, which yeah, we only stopped using because it was super loud and made a big mess. But uh, it's 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 less about the the like consistency of the grind and oh man you're using that great mug that Fitz gave you that thing's awesome um mm. oh so it's you know we're doing drip but it's like a nice drip it's a Bonavita I believe is oh the, yeah those like, are it's, great it's like a pretty good percolator I guess but uh, well it's not a percolator it's just a drip brewer yeah a percolator is a whole different thing a percolator heats the water up and it bubbles up from the bottom well I, I guess a percolator is a different right right but it is percolating yeah. right like isn't isn't mm, that I a, don't. Huh, I don't know that's, if it per, like, is percolating the, the act of water, moving water through sediment. Yes, I think it what, might be. That's what the coffee scientist man on YouTube said, so I'm going to go with it. Okay, well, like to me, a percolator is that is that chrome stacking thing that plugs into the wall and yeah, you put yeah, the yeah. coffee basket in the top and then yes. it boils up through the bottom and it makes it makes horrible coffee. A percolator is a specific term for a device, but percolating is. Yes, I think you're correct. I'll run it by the coffee advisory board and get back to you. Look, we're the experts here. God damn it. To Brad and Will made a tech pod. I'm Will. Brad, we're doing it again. We said we were never going to do another early morning recording, and yet here we are. I like early morning podcasts. Oh, I don't records. mind it. It's just that when I hear it back, I'm like, man, that sounds like a couple of sleepy heads that just rolled out of bed. You know, you know what we don't do anymore is we don't explain what the show is anymore up front. We, you know, that was the thing we did. That we were like, this is the Internet's number one podcast about a single topic, technology topic. Yeah, every it's, because, week. it's because we've reached every person on planet Earth now. Nobody, That's there's true. nobody out there who doesn't know what this podcast is because they're we, all listening to it. We only got a, a hundred thousandth of one percent of people to sign up for the Patreon. I'm really disappointed. <laughs> it's a pretty bad conversion we, rate. Yeah, if we had seven billion reach and we only got like, like, I mean, we, I'm really happy with the number of people we have. But oh, totally. if we got seven billion potential listeners out there we've reached all of them but like we 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 maybe need to rethink things brad we've, we've got pretty bad arpu around here <sighs> what are we gonna talk about this week uh what's on the what's on the what's on the ad agenda we're talking about 
streaming video on the internet from your home, which is all I do these days. It turns you are out. a pro streamer. It turns I guess out so. Yeah, me too. I have, I, have right a, I have a I have a friend who is a very successful like full time streamer. Ooh. who reached out to me at one point in the last few weeks and just said like <laughs> it's like hey I'm really getting a kick out of watching you guys having to become streamers from home <laughs> like like you really fast not, so you're not all the way down the Twitch like hey thanks for following XYZ69420 yeah, but we're not like, we're not quite like and subscribe just yet well but I was watching a former uh, an unnamed former giant bomb team member the other day who oh. has been doing some Twitch streaming uh-huh and it was fun watching him like he was actively talking about like adjusting to the norms of the platform and talking to chat and things like that, that kind of like like your traditional gaming site doesn't do while you're doing like if you're doing even doing a live live recording of Giant Bomb, you're maybe watching chat, but you're not like, oh, we definitely like, don't having watch a chat. conversation well, with the sometimes we'll have like one person on a laptop, but like, yeah, by and large, it's a bad idea to see what people are saying about you while you're doing it. It it, it it depends on the size of your community, but yeah, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, so this week we're going to talk about a a little bit about how to get started streaming, some more advanced streaming stuff, like how to do a two stream setup. And then we're going to get into this crazy project that you've been working oh on, God, the, the Frank encoder. Holy crap. I just I came up with that name as we I was writing the show notes here. And it's pretty apt, I think, because it's basically I, assembling a, an encoding pipeline out of the uh, body parts of various cadavers. Yeah, that sounds right. Just dig uh, up those old open source projects and glue them all together. That is like going to work quite literally what I'm trying to do. Um, <laughs> I've, so had a lot, I've had a lot of time while I was convalescing and couldn't really talk into microphones much. So, so you're you're trying to get the, um, the like the heavy lifting of the OBS encode process to onto another uh, machine yeah. to run on your on your free NAS box because yes, yes. everything comes back to NASes here. In terms Absolutely. Of. Well, in my case, I just don't have room for another computer. You know, like you could just get a second Windows machine and this would be yeah. easy peasy. But like, where am I going to put it? You know, that, who's got the space? Well, that's what I did. And the, like the pros are really good, meaning that like I don't have a lot of latency on input and stuff like that that you get when you use OBS on the same machine. But I generate twice as much heat when I'm in here streaming. And like, we live in a place where we don't have air conditioning in our houses. So at the end of a four or five hour stream, if I have the door shut, it yeah, gets to be it, 90 or 95 yes, degrees it in gets here. It's pretty toasty around here. Yes. Yeah. You're, it's you're a sauna. Your setup. There's some stuff I'm envious about with your setup. It's got some, some pros and cons of its own. Anyway, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Let's so, okay. So start with services. Cause like, you're not going to, as much as we like rolling our own stuff, I'm not going to roll my own streaming service. <laughs> yeah. 2020. I don't know, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty close to being able to do the restream.io thing from here, but but, but then you're still using restream to stream to the other streaming. Like I want, I want you. No, to no, set no. I'm saying, I'm saying doing what restream does, but without using restream. Can you RTMP that to the clients, though, man? Can you get it straight to the people? Man, oh, you mean every single person out there? Yeah, all at once, perhaps. That's running your own streaming service. Yeah, you're right. Brad dot is. Yeah, this is so. This is a weird one in terms of figuring out how to balance, like what. Should we, how much should we talk streaming one on one versus how much should we really get into the weeds on a lot of this stuff? So I, look, I assume if people are listening to this, they know about Twitch and they know about YouTube <laughs> and they know about Facebook, probably, and they know about uh, Mixer, Microsoft's yes. entry into the into the oeuvre. Yeah, they probably don't know about stuff like caffeine. I, I've they never heard not, of caffeine. Oh, so caffeine is like caffeine is uh, caffeine looked at like what streaming looks like and was like, what if we what if we made this service actually work for the way people stream? So like. You can stream different RTMP or RTC feeds of your camera and your gameplay and other things 
so that people can like control the size of the windows and things like that. Like we're talking, it's, it's, we're talking caffeine.tv apparently. I believe it's right? caffeine.tv. Are, are you telling me Drake is on caffeine apparently? Uh, Drake, Drake is, I don't know if you're aware, but Drake is a streaming juggernaut. Oh, wow. Uh, post Fortnite. And, uh, I believe he took a fat check as they say from the caffeine.tv people to slap his name on there. I see. Um, so, so we're using Twitch mostly right now. That seems to be where the gamers are. Twitch seems to be the de facto thing. I don't know that does YouTube gaming even still exist. YouTube gaming is still uh, a quite large thing. Okay. Um, Facebook has spent a lot of money getting people to come over and stream games on Facebook so that like 12 people can watch them. Yes. <laughs> um, I think Mixer is pretty cool. Mixer's neat. It's, I like the, uh, the early benefits of Mixer, meaning like the low latency and stuff is mostly available to people who stream on Twitch now. Yeah. Too. Is it? It's not the same exact tech though, right? Like Mixer, no. they have their own protocol. I found as I've been digging around, putting stuff together. Yeah, they they which they, they call, they call FTL the FTL thing the FTL was done before the RTC stuff was which done. I, I, think, I find right? to be a fairly cheeky name for a protocol. The point is, if you want to stream games, or if like your kid is like, "Hey, Dad, I want to stream Fortnite," you you there's no like pick the serp like. None of the like just get on the services the kid wants to be on or that yeah. like if I mean, you are trying to do a if you want to do like a stream of you making stuff, look at where people watch that kind of thing and then put your stream there. Yeah, that's on the, YouTube that, or that's Twitch or Mixer. Thing. Like yeah. uh, other than uh, Mixer and it sounds like caffeine, they're all kind of the same, right? Like, like those, those two have some sort of unique yeah. tech features. But other, the, other than that, they're all kind of the same thing. The, the neat thing about all of this is that a. Like it's the stuff that you would have needed to do a local access TV station without the radios and you don't have to figure out any of the hard stuff. You just have to figure out how to make the video come out of your computer and go to their server and then yep. they distribute it out to everybody else. How would one do that, Will? Well, you need some special software, Brad. Oh. It's funny you asked. Um, there is, of course, built in streaming software in pretty much every gaming tool on Windows now. Yeah. Um, uh, the NVIDIA control, uh, GeForce experience involves, includes streaming stuff. Uh, the Microsoft game bar includes streaming oh, can, stuff. Can the game bar stream now? So there, look, there are 50 apps on my machine called Xbox right now for reasons that I don't need to <laughs> Dude, explain. There are so many. One of them will stream. Oh, probably man. just a mixer now, but maybe Twitch. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know the game bar's gotten kind of good actually in the last like six months or something. I haven't like had game bar. Like game it's bar dis- disabled is the first thing I do on a new PC. Yeah, so I used I'll have to do to go that back too, but it's actually got some, it. it's got some nice convenience controls in it. But anyway, uh, um, uh, it, like that stuff is good. The stuff that's built into the PS4 and Xbox works to get your video out there. Once you reach a point where like people are paying money to watch your channel, which happens on different platforms in different ways, but basically usually you have to follow some sort of process, get a certain number of viewers, stream a certain number of days, stream for a certain number of total hours. And then they'll say, Hey, we would like to, to make this a, a formal business relationship with you, uh, customer. And uh, once you reach that point, you want to probably think about switching to a more PC based streaming setup like OBS, the open broadcasting system or slobs, which is called short for Streamlabs OBS, which is is a fork, a a fork of. Yeah, because OBS is open source. So OBS is open source. Anybody could make their own OBS if they wanted. 
Um, when there, there are other commercial tools like XSplit and VMix, I don't think we need to get into either. Like VMix basically lets you turn a PC with some capture cards and some dedicated hardware into like, like a TriCaster, a TriCaster style. Like it's 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 mixer box. It's getting into professional video production territory and is priced to match. Yeah, well, like you I, could, well, you, that's not true actually because like professional stuff, we're talking five figures easily for various software packages and and hardware devices, I, but. Uh, VMix is like uh, like a few hundred to I think I think the most expensive license is like twelve hundred or something like that. Yeah, and it comes with like like a lot of people have bought VMix in the last three months because they're using it like NBC and places like that are using tools like VMix to route Skype calls and things like that into their into their production pipeline. I would love to give it a shot, but uh, I don't think it's in our budget at the moment. There's a free version. Well, it's a, I believe it's a trial. I think they have a 90 day trial with all yeah. features enabled, but like I can't yeah. I can't I can't get up to speed on something and, and integrate it into my pipeline and then not and then have to after and then be like, uh, look at twelve hundred dollars to keep using the right. thing that you now love. Yeah, right. Unless we decide that's something we really need. Um, XSplit is still in use is and it? is good. Okay. Um, but but like the thing that's happened is what usually happens when there's multiple open source competitors in which is like the functionality you get from the open source competitors is really really good obs has gotten quite good despite um, s- certain like limitations and quirks yeah so it's like a, i don't know what the pricing is on x split at this point well and and the thing about slobs especially this so usually when people recommend ask for like hey what should i use to stream slobs smooths off a lot of the rough edges oh, and it? also i, I yeah. still i still use stock obs i've never tried the Streamlabs one so uh, the things that Streamlabs add are the things that you probably don't care about as much at giant bomb so like there's there's templates for things like stream overlays. So the things that let, let like the thing, you know how you, when when you're watching a Twitch stream and somebody gives them money and it's like, hey, Bob just gave you 600 bits. Boy, howdy. And it pops do up I. a thing on the stream, plays some music like that. That It does a lot of that stuff for you mm, without having to do a lot of work. I, th- I think I'm good on that. I know you don't like that stuff, Brad. It's OK. You're old. Yes. Um. Uh. The let's see. Uh. So does that cover the software pretty well? I mean, people have a pretty good sense of how that stuff works. Like you've got, at least in in the OBS model, you've got uh, scenes, which is sort of a collection of everything you're going to put on the screen all in one place. And then with sources and screen yeah, and sources, sources are like different video feeds you're bringing in. You might, be, um, you might be cropping them or resizing them and moving them around the screen in certain arrangements. If you make like a 2D frame for your video, so like you want to put a little frame around your camera box, stuff right. like that, that's going to happen and that, that's going to be a source in you can, OBS. You can do like transition effects, you know, fades and, and dissolves. And well, I guess that's the same thing. Cuts, so, you know, custom, well, so, you can use like custom little custom videos, like stingers and bumpers to do transitions, stuff like that. So the thing to remember is that a source is an individual component, whether it's a camera or a UI element or microphone, one of the overlays or microphone input or something like that, yeah. or, or like a pre-roll video or like a music play. They've actually, they've, I, it's been a couple, three years since I did a lot of streaming from home until all this started. And they've added a ton of different options for new things you can bring in. Like, well, uh, like you can, you can feed a VLC playlist in as a source now. And oh, just yeah. like play music in the background without having to like capture an app application or something. That's how I do the pre-roll on my stream. So yeah. I have like a folder on my on my hard drive with clips that are interesting. And I have a VLC source that is yeah. just like play random videos from this folder. And, yeah. and it yeah it does the thing you want. Um, the, the thing to know is that there's a there's a so sources and scenes. Scenes are collections of sources. And for example, you would use those if you have like. Like when I'm doing a building project and I want to have cameras on my cutting mat, I have one source for that. 
uh, sorry, one scene for that. And then I have a scene for sitting in front of the computer playing games. And I have a scene for sitting in front of the computer not playing games. And I have scenes for like before the show starts. Right. So so like all that stuff is pre set up and you don't have to manually configure it each time you start yeah, the stream. Yeah. And you can set up a ton of hotkeys that are global. So you don't even have to be in the application. You can just hit yeah. your kind of four key combo to switch to whatever scene. That's pretty, it. Or nice. you can use something like a stream deck to automate all that stuff. So you just hit a button and it switches the scenes for you, Yeah, which I highly recommended. Um, the codex. Oh, boy. Like now codex, we're getting into it. So, yeah, codex mean, um, it, it, you know, the the both converting up and down. Go ahead. Like the thing that everybody's using is H.264 because there's not HEVC or H.265 hardware acceleration for a lot of people right yeah yeah you're still gonna melt a lot of devices trying to play that back right it's all it's a lot more efficient you're gonna get well, better, trying, better. To, trying to encode it too is yes. the big problem yeah it's, it's more cpu overhead right to encode or no i'm not mm-hmm. clear on that i know decoding it decoding it takes more cpu h265 is a lot more cpu to encode to in my encode? experience okay I, well yeah. i guess that partially depends on what kind of hardware acceleration you're working with but that's really getting into the weeds <laughs> anyway right. H, h264 is like what a uh, who knows 10 12 15 year old codec at this point it's been around it for a started while. with blu-ray is when i is when it started oh, going yeah, mainstream so, God, blu-ray, so, blu-ray is 2007 or 2008 is, or something uh six, 2005 five six yeah, when did the Xbox 360 come out? Well, the PS3, PS3. came out in 06, and that's and Blu-ray was on the market then. So yeah, so anyway, it's, 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 kind yeah. Of a, it's kind of an old codec at this point, but it's still like the one that is the most widely supported. So that's what everybody uses. Yeah, and and um, basically, so there's when you're streaming, there's a everybody's like, oh, I want to do 1080p 60, and that's great. 1080p 60 is terrific. This is a conversation we had at Whiskey a lot in the early days way more important than the resolution you stream at is the bandwidth is the bit rate bit rate so you want to stream at the highest bit rate that your service provide allows i think the cap for twitch is like six or eight thousand it's, it's bits per second i believe it's six for just a generic channel that you go make right now and i think it goes up to eight when you're partnered if i'm not mistaken that's um, what i've been told I'm going to look that up because I uh, need to turn my bit rate up if that's the case. I didn't realize that. <laughs> that That is, I'm pretty sure that, I mean, I've been testing that, that, that it will accept eight on our partner giant bomb channel. Oh, um, so Twitch is weird because they, they will, they limit your ability to transcode if you go above the, yeah, the so, maximum rate. So I tried sending 1080p 60 at 10 megabits the other day just to see what it would do. And it accepted it, but it would only output at 720. Yeah. And the problem is a lot of people will then like if you're on phones or have shitty connections, they'll only get the 12,000, whatever the bit rate you send is because it won't run it through their um, through their stuff. Yeah. The the um, the other big choice, especially if you're streaming on one PC, is whether you use one of the hardware accelerated codecs. Yeah. uh, Intel's QuickSync. Uh, and NVNC is the NVIDIA version. I can't remember what AMD's is called. Yeah, AMD has a, a name for theirs. It's apparently absolutely terrible. Uh, yeah, I've got a if people really care about this stuff, I've got a great YouTube video that I picked up off of our discord. Ooh, thanks to Chapel for providing that. But uh, it is the most exhaustive analysis that you could possibly imagine for the relative qualities of the different encoders out there. What's the TLDR? I don't, what if I don't want to watch the video? The TLDR is that uh, NV Inc., the NVIDIA encoder on the Turing cards, which are the RCX cards. Yeah. Obliterates everything else out there in terms of quality at a given bit rate. 
and um, perform like performance i guess performance too just because those cards are so fast uh yeah. nv ink on the previous nvidia cards is actually not terrible i was under the impression it was pretty bad but it seems fairly competitive with x264 which is the generic stock cpu encoder S- so nv ink on the previous cards was fine for streaming and bad for archival stuff so like if you were if you were trying to munge blu-rays down from blu-ray bitrate to like yeah. a more web bitrate you didn't want to use nv ink because yeah. you would get a lot of weird noise the one uh, upshot of this video i watched is that all these encoders are basically fine at a high enough bitrate <laughs> like if yeah oh like, yeah, like yeah well over 10 uh, yeah. they're all pretty much the same but you're not going to push that out to a streaming service obviously what is what is quick sync is that something that works on intel cpus QuickSync is Intel's is built into pretty much every Intel CPU that I I think for for a while you had to have HG you know how sometimes Intel CPUs don't have graphics integrated yeah oh sure yeah so you, you, I think you had to have the GPU for a long time but I don't even know if that's the case I I don't think they make CPUs without the graphics anymore right. even if they don't expose it on the motherboard so so, so if you're CPU encoding meaning x264 is there a, any reason you shouldn't use QuickSync instead because you're already so, using your CPU anyway. No, so those are two different things. One oh. is using this math, doing like the X two sixty four math on the CPU. One is using their one is essentially Intel's version of NVENC. Right, that's what I mean. So, is there a reason yeah. not to just use that one? Yeah, because the quality's bad. Oh, it's not as good as X two sixty four. So until oh, that, the NVENC two came out, the the common wisdom was use H two sixty four if you have enough CPU cycles to do yeah. it, which means. Yeah probably a two PC setup if you're playing games at the same time, because games tend to eat a lot of CPU and the H X two sixty four encoder will eat every, every cycle you have. Yeah. So it's, if you it's, let it. it's tricky. I mean, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here with this crazy project I'm working on, but like figuring out whether to encode on the CPU or the graphics card in my machine is really tricky because mm-hmm. the overhead on the CPU is way worse, right? Like it takes relative like percentage it takes way more four cores. No right. problem. Like it's even like more, a very fast and a low bit rate. Yeah. Whereas like the load on the graphics card is only like 12, 15% tops for the most part. And uh, it's a part of the GPU that doesn't right. get used while you're playing games. Probably. Oh, is that the case? Uh huh. It's okay. a dedicated hardware encoder. Oh, okay. So I've been told that, but then I looked up some benchmarks out there where a bunch of people were like, here's how the frame rate suffers when you've got NV ink turned on. So it seems like there's a lot of disagreement about that stuff. So the, thing that's suffering is probably about memory bandwidth and okay. PCI or PC like there's probably there's a bottle there's so I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong on this but my understanding is that there that the performance impact of NV ink is probably because of band bottlenecks <sighs> being triggered elsewhere so like not, not because there's bandwidth of between PCI usage. express okay. or GPU memory or something like that but it's not actually actively using part of the GPU. That, core. that is what I have been told by people who know. But then, like I said, those benchmarks are out there and like the, the generic tools and windows for tracking GPU usage, like task manager just gives a, just gives a flat percentage. So it's really hard to tell. So I guess what sounds like what you're saying is use the, use the NV ink. If you have it, if you can, yeah, the, the, especially if you have an RTX card, definitely use oh, absolutely. the NV like, ink. That goes without saying, but I'm, I'm on a 1080, so it's a little fuzzier, but if I would say, if you're on a one PC streaming setup, use the NV ink. Yeah. Or QuickSync, either one, if you have both available, but NVENC is preferred. Yeah. Um, and then and then if you if you are if you want high quality at the lowest possible bit rate, X264 gives you a ton of set. Like the the part of the problem with the early NVENC, and I haven't spent enough time with the new NVENC yet, because I only have a RTX card in my gaming PC, not in my streaming PC, is that you didn't have a lot of settings over like profile and and um flags and stuff like that like right. you do with x264 and codes presets so, and tuning and all that stuff yeah like nvenc the the pre-rtx version is basically like 
I think it's very fast. Um, the very fast preset and and baseline profile, not even main profile. I can't yeah. remember. Um, but but the, the if you're just starting out streaming, you don't need to know that stuff. Just set it. Just set the encoder and OBS or slobs to NVIDIA. Yeah, like like I said, you'll be we're, fine. We're really getting into the weeds on this stuff, but but the 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 basic. I mean, I think OBS even labels it like simple settings and advanced settings. And if you stick mm-hmm. to simple, it is literally like two buttons or something. It's like. Pick your service, give them your stream key or just log into their service, hit stream. You're done. So, so the, the one exception to all of this is if you're doing something like if you're doing a crafting channel that you're not playing games and you're not hitting CPU really hard on your computer, probably do the X264 yeah. encode. Yeah. Because yeah. you'll get better quality and better results at the at the lower bit rate at the lower bit rates that the streaming services use. Yeah, it definitely depends on what you're doing. Like games, yeah. games obviously place the greatest load on the machine that you're also streaming from. So that's where it yeah. gets tricky. But yeah, you should just use the the high quality CPU stuff if you're stream in your desktop or something like that welcome to my software compiler stream here oh we compile software dude i quite literally <laughs> it never quite came to pass but i literally made a chat in our cms backend called brad compiles a new ffmpeg oh and i was God. just gonna i was just gonna stream that window for the half hour that it took to build that thing i i would i would watch that that sounds I was great just, I, I was just gonna play some music and let this terminal window go you know what capturing a terminal window and getting it looking nice is harder than you think you have to get the aspect ratio on that window, yes, right? Getting getting the aspect. I had to like stretch it across two monitors and it was taller than the monitor. So I had to push it down a little bit to get it to fit 1080 nicely and have the text be legible. That's, that's tough. Okay, so we've, tough. T- we've talked about what goes into the stream. How does it get there, Brad? Well, Will, I'm glad you asked. Um, you're basically you're taking the video that you're encoding and bundling it up in a protocol, a protocol, protocol. Protocol is uh, is the, <laughs> the inventor the of son of Kyle. Okay. It turns out yes. the early version of Kyle <laughs> protocol uh, is what shuttles it off to the server. So you're basically mm. wrapping your video in some kind of Internet wrapper and turning it into packets and sending it off to oh, the server. Like, like my name is Will and I'm here to say that's exactly get this video in an unusual way. <laughs> <laughs> well, RTMP is not unusual. That's what everybody uses. What does RTMP stand Our, for? Uh, Real time messaging protocol, I believe. Wow, that that that. Uh, look, I was gonna see. Yeah, Dude, I've, I've got been, nothing better. I have been spending some time on some white papers recently. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, um, also, I, I just I you know as a nerdy fifteen year old, I used to love memorizing computer acronyms, and it never quite went away. You know that 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 was yeah yes I I can you I agree it. with you, you yes I'm it. with you I'm with you. It's like it's 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 like the fetish for weird operating systems. Knowing what protocols mean is just I I, I told for you certain, for a certain type of nerd. Like I went to the screwdriver shop and got a copy. I'd been I'd bought a couple of copies of Boot magazine, but the one that got me was the one that was like, here are six alternative operating systems. And it was like BIOS yeah. um, next Makes and you feel BSD you know. and yeah. When you're a Linux. T- teenage loser in the 90s, it makes you feel special. It makes you it's feel amazing. like you're in the know. It's amazing that like I a- run two of those OSs in the house on the reg yeah. now, yeah. 20 years later. Yeah, here we are. To me. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, okay. So let RTMP. Tell, let, me, let me tell you about my it? complimentary metal oxide semiconductor. All right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, so RTMP is uh, the protocol that I guess everybody uses, right? It's definitely what Twitch wants you to send in, and I assume YouTube and Facebook are the same. I don't know if you know, because I haven't 
streamed. I haven't videos. used any of the. I just. I literally. My experience with the protocols for this is that I type my pro, my stuff into into the Twitter right. into so the it, OBS. We should. We should. We and should then say I don't right have now. to think about it ever. Yeah. We should. We should say again right now. Like you will not have to worry about any of this if you're not a giant nerd who wants to dig into how it works and like customize stuff. Because uh, stuff like OBS just handles it for you. Um, but yeah, RTMP is like an older protocol. It's been around for a while. Like I think I think it was made by Adobe. But that's okay. what uh, that's what the Twitches of the world want you to send uh, your stuff in, package it in. Um, yeah, my understanding is it adds quite a bit of latency, like on the order of several seconds, like five seconds or something. And latency seems like a thing that the streaming world is starting to really turn its attention to. I mean, when you're when you're just broadcasting gameplay from like a tournament it doesn't matter. Latency doesn't matter. And and maybe it's actually good to have more latency, right? Like when, when you play competitively online, even at home, you add latency to your stream so that people can't screen peek you sure. over the internet and see where you are and use that information. Yeah. But like when you're talking to chat or you're playing like a Jackbox, like I was playing Jackbox games last night with, with us on a stream with some other people and the latency, even that we got from Skype was such that, it made like getting those prompts in a yeah. little bit hard sometimes. Latency makes Jackbox games almost unworkable. Um, th- there are ways to play Jackbox games with your friends. Like Discord's built-in streaming thing is low latency enough that they work really yeah. well. But yeah, but specifically the problem we would run into is turning on like the audience mode because there are ways that audience members can play a lot of those Jackbox games. And we were, you know, we would be on to the next round while people were still seeing the prompt for the previous round and stuff like that. It, it became a, a problem there, but uh yeah. Yeah. Talking talking to chat is the big one for me for latency is you just want to be able to like verbally answer people's questions as close to when they ask them as possible. Well, and and it's funny, like two or three seconds really doesn't matter, but no. 20 or 15 yes. or 20 totally jacks up the yes. way the flow of the stream. Absolutely. So um, what 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 are the options for lower latency? Well, unfortunately, you don't, really, you don't really have a lot of options unless you're on Mixer and you're using their FTL stuff, which as far as I know, even that is just built into OBS. So if you're using Mixer, you just say, hey, I want to use Mixer and it just handles it. Um, um, I know that for people who are partners or affiliates, which are their like business level, like the people that are making money on Twitch, they can do lower latency. Yes. But it, it it's still in the like three to f- two to five milliseconds probably range. Not. Right. Yeah, not it's, not. it's not bad. But yeah, that that is. Is that just for partners? That's not for everybody. Yet, I think Twitch. that's for affiliates and partners, but I could be wrong. Okay. It may be for everybody now. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I should, I, I don't read streamingnews.de. I should, I should check the dummy Twitch uh, account that I just made for testing to see if it can do. That's a three day old account. Three, if that three day old account has low latency, then everybody does. If you can um, find Brad's dummy Twitch account, I will give you a free <laughs> subscription to the Patreon. All right. Challenge accepted. Um, <laughs> um, there are more modern protocols out there that most, most people don't need to worry about because you can't really use them for much right now because the major services don't accept them. But uh, there's SRT. Okay. Which is a uh, secure, reliable transport, I believe. Oh, okay. Which is open source. It was made by some video company that I'm not familiar with, um, which aims to get latency down quite a bit. Okay. Uh, there's WebRTC. WebRTC. That's the video conferencing thing, right? Which is, I think, yeah, primarily it's for video conferencing right now, although I assume it can be used for anything. It actually, again, I've been spending some time on some white papers. Uh, it's it's actually, it uses like some pretty old protocols underneath that are quite low latency from like the 90s. Do these protocols specify codecs and like transport no, layer? Are they like no. all UDP or are they TCP we or will, both? We will get to that, man. Because okay, I, okay. I have discovered that you can kind of package any uh any protocol inside any transport stream inside any 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 uh 
Yeah. It's pipes inside of pipes inside of pipes. Yo, dog, I heard you like pipes. Yes, we'll talk about it. But uh, anyway, yeah, there are some newer options out there for for lower latency streaming, but it seems like it's taking some time for the major services to adopt them. Yeah, it's shocking. I mean, there's a lot of infrastructure to build this stuff up on the back end, so it makes sense. Totally. At the scale that a Twitch is operating at, it's not like it it takes a long time to, to steer an aircraft carrier, right? Yes. So uh, let's talk about hardware and okay. what you need to do, like like your bog standard Twitch stream. Um, the most important thing to get a good one of is a microphone. And in this case, good microphone means probably like the entry level is probably a blue snowball, which is like a $50 USB mic. Is the, the snowball the one that is quite literally a ball, like a spherical a, on a stand? Yeah. Yeah, it's a big spherical ball. You, yeah. you want to get a shock mount for it because if you do it on a stand and you're doing a keyboard, people will hear. Yes. Like you cannot constantly tap. Yeah, you, they will hear banging on your keyboard and all that stuff. You can't um, you really can't put your mic on your desk right near your input devices. So you can do um, you can get a nice shock mount for like 100. So the snowball is 50 bucks. I would recommend going up to the to the next level up snowball, which is a Yeti. They seem to yes. last a lot the, longer. The, the snowballs have like a two year lifespan in my experience. Whoa. And then what? Then they just kind of just stop working. They, they just fade away. Yeah, That's they're not terrible. They, like I'm look, talking. I'll oh, go ahead. It's it's um it's I think it's the one that I had that died. The USB plug. Because of where it sticks out in the back, it's it's stressed ah, in a weird okay. spot. I see. So the USB connector just got janky. Sure. Uh, um, I, I am talking into a five-year-old Blue Yeti right now. So Yeah. And, and this thing has been plugged and unplugged countless times, and it, it seems to be holding up pretty well. Well, and you can get it. Yeti's, what, like 100 bucks, I think, is where yeah, they start. I think and they you can get the XLR for... version for two. Oh, I didn't know they made an XLR Yeti. Yeah, they make an XL. One that's XLR and USB, so you can oh, do both. Oh, wow. I wish which I had is really convenient. That would yeah. be great. Oh, well. Um, do you want to tell people what XLR is real fast? Just... Uh, so XLR is an audio cable standard that basically... It's it's wired in such a way that it, it eats interference so that you don't pick up as much noise from EM interference from yeah, the environment around you. Can be a problem with the cheaper mics and flimsy cheap <coughs> cheapo cables and stuff like that. I've I've even had interference problems with this Yeti, which is using USB, so it's a digital signal, but I've still had issues. Well, like so one of the things that I found is that even if you for example, like an LED backlit keyboard is really a noisy device yeah. um electrically. So if I bring my mics too close to my backlit keyboard when the lights on, you can hear the the hum from the yeah. from the yeah. keyboard. It, it is inf- dealing dealing with interference is infuriating. But the upshot of all this is that having a good microphone is going to make like people people will will tolerate shitty video. They don't tolerate yes. bad audio. Yes, that is absolutely so, true. So audio matters more than anything else. Um, yeah. If you want to capture, if you want to play console games, you need capture cards. Yeah. Uh, the consumer, like the consumer leader, which is kind of hard to find right now because they're out of stock is Elgato. Yeah. Um, like the, they, the USB models. Uh, so the USB yes, models are pretty good. Uh, they have more. So if you want to be able to play in a window on your computer, in my experience, the USB models are too high latency usually. Yes. Some of the newer ones are okay. The USB three ones are probably okay. I haven't used those personally, um, but like you can get an HD sixty S, which is a PCI Express card for like a hundred bucks. Oh wow, uh, are they that cheap now? Yeah, they're not expensive because once the four K ones came out, the price on the ten eighty P ones went way down. And oh sure. Realistically, even if you're playing, the only reason you would want a four K capture card is if you are playing on like a PS four Pro or Xbox Series X or yeah. Xbox One X. 
and want to play games in 4K and, and shrink them down. So I've got a um, I'm using a Magewell USB three device. I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with that company. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not as widespread. It works OK. It does have a lot of latency, like you said, uh, and it only does 1080. I've got an Elgato 4K card on the way. OK, um, I'm interested to hear how it is. Yeah, it's uh, well, I haven't ordered it. It's kind of in yeah. purchase, purchasing limbo right now. But um, um, it, it has a few advantages, I understand, besides being able to just capture 4K. Like, uh, I believe the newest model can, if I understand correctly, it can basically split the what it's pulling in out as multiple, quote unquote, kind of capture devices in Windows. Because oh, so you can do a quad. Yeah, because uh, with like your cheapo capture solutions, you're taking that feed in and Windows can only do one thing with it at a time. Right. Yeah. So like so like you can't have your webcam active in a Google Hangout and in OBS at the same time, for example. That so makes this, sense. So this thing is sort of like multiplexing the feed that you're pulling in so you can feed it into multiple applications at once. So it's got some other quality of life features like that besides the 4K. That's really I mean, so that kind of stuff's really interesting. The the um, the big so on the if you want to play games, especially games that are latency driven, like if you if you want to play something even like Spelunky, right, that requires precision on your controls, probably you want to put a splitter. Yeah. Uh, just an HDMI splitter, which is like a $20 dongle thing that plugs in between your uh, capture card and your captured devices. And you want to run them into the like one run input directly into your monitor and one into the into the capture card. I just I just had to buy a new splitter, actually, because my old one died. They, so. they don't. They live short, glorious lives. Yeah, I worked for well, I didn't use it much, but I had it for about five years. I used it off and on a few times a year and then it <laughs> bought the farm. Um, um, cameras. You're going to want a camera. So probably a webcam is where most people start, like yeah, your Logitech's is, 922s, Brio's, whatever. Yeah, I've still got a, a plain old C920, which is a 1080p30, which works well, although it is impossible to get a webcam right now. Uh, they're starting to come back. Are they? That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But it was like um, the most sought after item, I think, for the first couple months of this thing was people needing webcams. Yeah. I saw a guy through a throw a cinder block through a Best Buy trying to get in. The webcams <laughs> came in a few weeks ago. It was <laughs> chaos. Cats yeah. and dogs. Yeah. Um, a tripod is useful. Uh, you can dangle it off the top of your monitor, but that often gives you an angle that you don't want. Um, I use a Dinkum. It's a terrible name. Dinkum systems action pro action pod pro, which is, you know, like those gorilla, those Joby gorilla pods yeah. with the, with the like they have like a ball and socket or like articulating a legs. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. So this is just one of those legs with a clamp on one end oh. and like a locking clamp on one end and, you could just and kind a of camera mount on the other in the position. Yeah. Okay. So it sits up above my monitor. Um, what, do you, what do you have a clamp to? Uh, uh, ironically, a tripod. That <laughs> I couldn't get in the position that I wanted it to because it has three legs and it doesn't fit behind the monitor. I wonder if you could like clamp that onto like your monitor arm or something like that. I I could. My main monitor isn't on an arm because okay. I'm a dumbass. But I have would, an arm for it and just haven't installed it yet. That, that should for work for two though. years. Yeah, that you know that would what, work you know better. What, you know what bugs me about webcams lately, and this is pretty nitpicky, I suppose. But uh, tell me what grinds your gears, Brad. Bezels have gotten so thin on monitors. Yeah, and there's most, no place to put them. And most webcams have that big fat lip that sticks down to to rest it on the top of the screen. So you basically have a big part of that lip just sitting there over top of your monitor now. Yep, I have it's, two webcams on top of my computer. It's very and, annoying. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway. And then, uh, like the the other piece of hardware you might want is a stream deck. A, a stream uh, Elgato makes this thing called a stream deck. It's basically a whole shitload of buttons on a little box, 
and uh, it works. It has a touchscreen uh, underneath it, and then the the buttons are capacitive buttons that are transparent. Yeah. So you can put whatever like art you want on the buttons, and you can bind them directly using APIs to things like Streamlabs and OBS. Uh, you can send MIDI commands with them to work a hardware yeah. mixer. Yeah, it's, it's basically can, a glorified set of macros on a control surface, right? It, it, well, it is, but also if you set it up right, it also gives you feedback about what's currently live. Like when I have mics live and dead, it indicates whether the the mics are active or not. Oh, so that I, don't, is, I don't make you're mistakes. You're talking about the stream deck specifically? On, where on the stream each, deck specifically. Each, each button yeah. is a tiny little screen. Yeah, so that like is, that is the first actually functional utilitarian use of those screen buttons that I've heard. Everybody else just puts like Tim Allen's face on them or something. Well, so it's it's nice for mics. Uh, it's nice for sources because you can show which source is currently active or which scene is currently active rather in OBS or slobs. Yeah, that's actually super useful. Um, and you can do things like turn off. So you can turn off scene. You can switch between scenes, but you can also turn off individual sources. So like. If you do a bombcast and you have presets for, you know, Jan and Jason and Jeff and and Vinny, then you can turn on and off the sources based on who's yeah. there, uh, which is which is really convenient. Yeah, it's, it's um, mostly <clears throat> excuse me. It's mostly stuff you could hotkey on your PC if you've worked enough. But but it's absolutely. nice. It's nice to have it discreet and and split out from all that stuff. Well, so the the thing that it does is it gives you a little bit about the thing that's good about buying like a big control surface for a video mixer, like that has bars and a million buttons and all sorts of lights and stuff on it. Like a T-bar. Yeah, like a T-bar, but without having to spend $2,000 on that there. They like the stream deck started, I think, a hundred bucks and go up to like 250 or 300 bucks. Man, I love to ride the T-bar. Oh, man. It's it's so much fun. When they used to let us do that in the basement, that was the most like... I, no, don't worry. I got this, Vinny. I got this under control. I'm going to switch these video feeds like you've never seen. Um, um, I, real quick, the last thing about the Stream Deck. I, there, I think, I mean, I haven't looked into it too much, but there are some sort of DIY uh, control surface things you can do. Yeah. Like I know Vinny wired up a MIDI controller. Uh, Jeff is using some kind of like arcade button surface for uh-huh. the same purpose. I don't know how, I don't know what like, interfaces you would use for that stuff, but I feel like the arcade buttons would be too clicky, right? You don't I want know, to I think it'd be, Oh man, it'd be great. I think it would feel amazing. Well, it'd feel good, but you'd hear it. The sound yeah. would come through, man. Yeah, but you it's such get, a great sound. Look, there are good, there are good clicks and bad clicks and a good arcade button is definitely in the good click category. Yeah. I no, I barely hear that. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's like he switches. Yeah. Um, uh, camera, uh, uh, you can also do if you have like a DSLR or a um, mirrorless or something that sends a clean HDMI output, you can get a dedicated camera capture thing that will plug into the camera and let you use a good camera as a source. If you want like bokeh in the background and all that yeah, stuff. Real nice, um, real nice feed. I, I realize we didn't talk about resolutions on the capture cards, and this is actually important. The more traditional capture cards by companies like Blackmagic only support broadcast resolutions. So they'll support. 480, 480p, 720p, 1080i, 1080p, and 4K. They probably don't support 1440p, which is an increasingly popular gaming resolution. Yeah. So if you want to capture 1440p on a PC for like a two P two stream setup, two PC setup, you're going to want an uh, an Elgato card probably rather than a Blackmagic or Magewell or something like that. Right. And that's it. That's this. That's the hardware. Uh, and then the question is, do you do one PC where everything runs, including OBS runs on the PC where you're playing games? Yeah. Or do you do a two PC, which adds an incredible amount of complexity? And we're not going to get into how it all works because it's too much. Oh, man. But, that's what I want. <laughs> really? I mean, we can. 
Uh, well, so, so like, the, the upside of streaming everything from the same PC is it's all in one place. It's relatively straightforward. You don't have to worry about getting the video to the second machine to stream it out. It's hard. It's actually hard to main, main monitor chat and stuff like that because you can't usually run games in full screen. Yeah, unless you have two uh, or three monitors, then you have more options, obviously. Well, you have to run them in windowed full screen even if you have two monitors because you need to be able to get the cursor away from that main monitor and right. you can't do that it, in exclusive yes, full screen yes, usually. That, that is a pain for sure. Um, um, the other the other big downside, like we've said, is like you're putting a lot of load on one computer that you want to be very performant to run games. Also, if you're if you're playing games where like frame perfection matters OBS, like adding OBS into your capture setup adds a little in, into your PC adds a tiny bit of input latency. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, that sounds like something that only a professional PUBG player would know. Uh, I immediately started landing flick headshots when I switched to not having OBS running in the background on my stream PC on my gaming PC. Yeah. So let's just, we don't have to get super deep into it, but I would like to hear just the basics of your setups. You have a second PC. Yes, yeah, so the, the, two, the two PC setup I use is I have um, I pipe uh, basically one one output for my video card on my gaming PC goes directly to the monitor, right? Okay. One is a duplicate and goes to a capture a black magic capture card that's capturing at 1080p 60 on the stream PC. Okay. And the stream PC is like a 6700K or something like that. It's nothing. It's nothing fancy. It's like a good old Intel CPU with an NVIDIA graphics card. Yeah. Which which if it's doing nothing but sending a stream out is fine, right? Like it can easily yeah. handle like a 1080p 60 stream if it's not also running a game or something. I can do ludicrous stuff. I, I, I like the benefit of the two PC setup is that I can do stuff like have an instant replay window on my stream. So when something happens, people can type a command in chat and it oh, will trigger wow. a replay. Oh, and that's then the cool. replay. Then the replay shows in OBS, huh. like on the on the stream. Yeah. And also I can switch to it as a scene wow. and it'll replay the last one. So I can literally like when something awesome happens, I can I can capitalize. So are, are, do you have just two sets of keyboard and mouse sitting there so you can manage both machines or are you how are you? It's funny you ask that, Brad. I use a IO Gear USB switch. So okay. it's not a KVM. It's an actual switch. Like a physical that, switch. It's like physically changing connections. It physically changes the connections. It has like it's a little it looks it's a little box. It looks like a USB hub. It has two USB outs that go into one. It goes into each PC and then like four USB A ports that I can plug whatever I want into. But it's for me, it's just keyboard and mouse. Um, and there's a little tiny bit of latency is like 300 milliseconds as the USB picks it up on either side when you switch. Yeah. But usually if I'm switching off of like the gaming PC onto the stream PC, it's between games or something like that. So it's no big deal. Sure. Um, so, okay. Getting video in is easy. You can, you can pipe your audio streams across that HDMI output, right? Okay. So like you can say, carry my mixed audio from my gaming PC into the into the streaming PC and just use that as the source in oh, OBS. Yeah. So, so you would just set that HDMI output as your audio device in OBS, basically. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, you can also uh, use a piece of software called Voice Meter. That's V O I C E M E E T E R, uh, which is like it's an audio. It's a DAW, a digital audio workflow device. Okay. Oh, I've been wondering what DAW stood for. I think it's workflow. I don't know. Somebody will correct me. Um, but it basically it's it's like a pipe. It's a series of pipes. It's it's a software mixer. So where an where a, a hardware mixer lets you take physical inputs, audio inputs, and pipe them through to different places and mix them at different levels and stuff like that. This does that in software. So you can and it also provides virtual inputs 
that that WDM and MME uh, API audio apps can talk to. So when you install Voice Meter Banana, there's there's three versions. There's Voice Meter, Voice Meter Banana, and Voice Meter Potato. Potato. They all work more or less less the same, but they have different levels of inputs and outputs available to the the user. And obviously, the one with more inputs and outputs uses way more uh, uh, CPU than the ones that has has two inputs and outputs. Yeah. Basically, with this, you'll get a couple of virtual inputs and a couple of virtual outputs. So you can do things like have your physical microphone connect to one input, one physical one one input in voice meter, and then send that out to virtual outputs without having like game sound, so that Discord just gets your microphone, but everything thinks it has exclusive access to the hardware. Yeah. It sounds um, incredibly useful. I find it a little imposing. I've never installed it because it seems like just the g- general setup would take a while. And also, uh, most people I know that use it kind of both. Everybody s- has a love hate. Yes. They, they, both, voice they, they both swear by it and also sort of uh, curse its name at the same time. <laughs> it it lets you do incredible things like yeah. like, for example, if you're playing multiplayer games with people on Discord, you have three four audio inputs, right? You have uh, the Discord, the people talking on Discord, you have your microphone, you have the game, and then you probably have like overlays and stuff like alerts and stuff like that that play on your stream to let people know that people have followed or donated or whatever. Um, When voice meter lets you control the level of those independently from one place. So like you can adjust and you can duck and all that stuff based on like what input is what, and it ends up being incredibly convenient. Uh, that said, it's not better. Like an actual physical mixer is better and yeah. easier in a lot of ways. And it's, I, I just switched to one because I was tired of voice meter voice meter. When you, when you spike CPU does weird things and sometimes can crash your audio interface and stuff like that. So it's not a great thing to run on a gaming PC unless you have like six, six or more cores. Yeah. You just decided to get that Behringer instead. I got a Behringer. You, oh, also worth mentioning, voice meter will let you pipe the audio over the network with like a hundred milliseconds of latency. No. So you can take any of the buses in voice meter and say, hey, send this over the network to another computer. Oh, that's handy. And it will ingest it, which is how, like that lets you do things like have independent audio for all of these things, independent channels for all of your inputs so that you can adjust everything individually. Yeah. I just wanted to point out very quickly that I've finally realized the reason that I think Behringer sounds like military hardware. Is it because it is military hardware? No, it's because it's a shotgun. It's it's because of Tom Behringer. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, that that reads. Yeah, right. So so what's the story on the Franken encoder? Oh, my God. Here we go. Do we have time to get into it or do we need to come back uh, later? No, no, we could we could get into it. Okay, I accept I'm a little intimidated about talking through all this nonsense. Hmm. Um. It's it's been slowly uh, agitating me over the course of this podcast. Just 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 to be clear, this is a project that most people nobody like, should do this. I don't think nobody should. I, like I think the thing you're doing is interesting. So what what you're trying to do is build a box uh, like a black box that so you can pipe an RTMP feed into. Yes. Well, so there there are a couple of weird uh, specific concerns that I have that most people wouldn't have. Okay. One of so I've got I've got the NAS over there in the corner. So one That's of those me com- in the corner, right? <laughs> um, uh, the the biggest concern I have is that it's a headless machine, right? It has no graphics card, it has no monitor, so I need to get video into it in a way that doesn't need either of those things, right? Like yeah. if it was if it was another Windows machine with another monitor, this would be brainless. Like it would take twenty minutes to set up. 
You can just do an OBS, I think, right? Well, you would do it in OBS and you would use a protocol called NDI, which is made by NewTek, the TriCaster people, which sometimes feels like magic to me. You So you can use, I did a two PC stream with NDI before I got the capture cards to support Actually, it. Yeah, let's walk back to, I, there was one more thing I was going to ask about your, uh, your setup. Um, yeah. So like the big upside of your setup is because you're sending it out over HDMI, there's like no load on your PC, right? Like, like you said, there's no latency from OBS. There's no CPU overhead from encoding a stream. If just I sending, had a high refresh rate G-Sync monitor, it wouldn't, that wouldn't be impacting anything either, presumably. Right. right. Like you're, you're basically using your PC as just a PC to play games and not having yeah. any, no, no drawbacks due to encoding or any of that stuff. Oh, uh, it's, it's also worth mentioning that I have, um, I have a capture card in my PC that I plug consoles into. Okay. So when I want to play console games, they just show up as like a full screen on my main monitor rather right. than having to, to like switch computers and stuff like that. Anyway. I, I have to assume the downside of that setup, and I'm sure you've worked around this, but like anything on the monitor that is piping out to your stream PC gets streamed out, right? Like there's no selective capture. Like OBS lets you say like, Hey, only capture this window on this desktop. Don't capture the whole desktop. So and the selective capture on OBS is great, except for when it doesn't work which oh, is sure. increasingly that, frequent saying. now like <laughs> there are a lot of games that it doesn't work well with yeah nothing from the windows store yes. or game pass is going to work right with that yeah um, i recorded a video of minecraft dungeons yesterday and that did not capture especially well because it's a uwp uh, app you got to capture full yes, screen I, I should have done but so that's that's the thing like i i get why your setup is super useful but i would not trust myself to not accidentally alt tab to my inbox or something like that and like again anything that shows up on that monitor is just going to get streamed right out I have a post-it taped to the bezel of my monitor that says close browser, <laughs> open eye tracker. Like it's all the things that I have to do manually Just to like make sure. I, on this, on the stream PC. I have one button on the stream deck that launches everything I need. It launches the chat bot. It launches Ooh, that's nice. the Twitch interface. It launches discord. It launches voice meter. It launches Streamlabs OBS. It opens all the, all everything. Yeah. On the, Gaming PC, I have to do that stuff manually. So there's like three things. There's like a macro button thing I have to launch, the mixer interface, and um, uh, the eye tracking software, which is dopey. But I uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and and like on that list is close your email, dumbass, because yeah. I have streamed my inbox a couple of times. Yes, I, I I have a button on the main screen of the stream deck that is like live you know desktop feed that i can right. turn on, on and off very quickly so. yeah so i i admire your setup and i want something like that but that that would be a huge uh point of anxiety for me um, you you get in the habit really quickly like the first time you have to go through and edit a feed and then re-upload it you you <laughs> yes. realize that i've not i shouldn't have done this yes I, you, I, I definitely you get in the habit i definitely yeah. understand that so but but that is the place that i started from with this ridiculous setup is wanting to just get as much of the load off of my gaming pc as i could to use yeah, it that, for games I mean, it's that's a good task. Good, so, good plan. So so NDI is a protocol that NewTek came up with that shuttles. It's specifically for LANs. It's not for streaming over the Internet. It's just for machines physically connected to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I a 50 megabit stream. Usually I think, per, I think per I, I, on there, they list 100 megabits as the like safe amount of overhead to to account for. So it's yeah. a high it's a high bit rate stream. I think it uses H.265. I could be wrong. I think it's H.264. I don't know what I it mean, is. I mean, it may be protocol independent, but I, the point is it's it, very it, low CPU overhead. Like it's, it's almost transparent. Like it, when I've, when I yeah. tested it, like sending an NDI feed out to my MacBook, it was my PC was sitting at like 8% CPU usage or something like that. It's like, yeah. it's incredibly low or light. If, I should say. if you're using it in production, you want to do a point to point network for each run. 
or at least a shared switch. You like you don't want it on on hubs with normal traffic, right? Because that because if you do something like if you're on gigabit, if you're not on gigabit, it probably doesn't matter. But if you're on gigabit and you fire up Origin and it starts downloading, you know whatever game at yeah, at, if it at starts eight hundred megabits, you're going to have connection. a problem. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, you'd you're what you're saying is basically you'd want like a dedicated second Ethernet card in each machine with yeah yeah. And make sure you're routing over that anyway. But it, but NDI works over Wi-Fi if you have good if you have good AC. I've done NDI from a MacBook Pro to my streaming PC before to oh, do like God. remotes. I am so fucking frustrated because uh, if, it, if this was 18 months ago, I could just be using NDI to get the video out of my PC and into my NAS. And this would have taken like an afternoon at most. Can you not but just get an old version of FFmpeg? Uh, there might be an old binary out there somewhere. It's, it's especially for the os yeah. that i'm on it's tough to find that stuff and also there's like you know there are updates to codecs and other things in that binary that there you wouldn't have it's just not worth it okay uh, and they ripped it out they ripped ndi support out of ffmpeg because of open source politics basically <laughs> well i mean in fairness ndi violated the terms the, of the licenses new, new tech, that they agreed to new tech screwed up they were not yeah they, they did things they should not have done and it's like understandable why that really sucks what happened happened but i'm still super mad about it because that would have solved all my problems well in like 12 years there'll be another open source codec that works exactly like I was, ndi but i was better just i was just we'll, do you think it's gonna be that long i was talking i was having that exact conversation with Vinny yesterday and like i i feel like it's like five years away or something the way that the way that hardware acceleration and codecs are going i feel like some kind of open NDI like standard is inevitable for just kind of sending video across a network for quote unquote free. I it's a harder. Uh, so NDI has proved a business case for that. Like yeah. NDI has, has shown that like, like it is massively useful to not have to run SDI cables throughout a yeah, shop. Totally. And it's way easier to run ethernet cables. But especially so, when you're, you're dealing with an esoteric machine like I have where I, it, I can't exactly put capture hardware into that computer. You but could, it, it would just be a nightmare to it get it be, working. It would, dude, that don't even, I'm not even going near that rabbit hole, but, but, but yeah, it has an ethernet cable. Like, you know, it has a network connection. So sending things over networks is easy if you have the right standards. Isn't it all just bits? Yeah, sure. At the end of the day. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So the goal. So, okay. Yeah. What's the pipeline here? You mux it on the in yeah. OBS on your gaming PC. So, so basically I wanted some combination of not having as much compute load on my windows machine. Yeah, hopefully ending up with a higher quality file, because right now we're uploading Twitch archives to the site to re-encode and put on the site, which is terrible, right? Because you're starting yeah. with a relatively low bitrate file to begin with, and then it's getting crunched down again, and you just lose a lot of quality. Yeah, I mean, your target bitrate at Giant Bomb was always higher than way what higher Twitch than, is. Like Twitch, yeah. we can only send like eight to Twitch, and we yeah. would, in the office, we would be recording it way well, higher so you, than that. So you can record locally on Twitch at a different bitrate. You like can, you can set Twitch, then you're, then you're doing two encodes. So to do that, you have to do you're running two separate encode jobs on the same machine. And that is a lot of overhead. That's true. So you can't do that on a gaming PC realistically. Really. Fair. Okay. So, um, so yeah, what I'm doing is uh, I, I've got my scene arranged on OBS like that stuff all works the same. Like it's muxing the video there. It is encoding on the Windows machine at a high bit rate currently. Muxing is when you make the audio and the video interleave. Like turning turning it into a, yeah. a, a single stream it can send out. Right. Um, yeah. And then what I'm doing is instead of writing that to a file, I am pointing it at the NAS just with a network address, uh, sending it to a jail on my NAS, which has FFmpeg running on it in like listen mode, basically as sort of a listen server. Okay. And it ingests that feed there, which again is a quite a high bit rate, right? So it takes that feed in and it both writes it out directly to file. So you're getting just a nice like MKV of the original stream at a high bit rate. And it also runs a separate job that encodes it down to the Twitch standards, which is like eight megabits. 
and then God, sends would... it and then sends it to uh, to Twitch as an RTMP stream. Boy, if you get this working, I might actually it use works. this. I dude, it already it works. The only I so fuck man. God, I have spent dozens of hours troubleshooting shit with this over the last so, couple weeks. So I it, don't. It, it works. I don't need the local archive, but not having the compute happening on this machine in my office would probably reduce well, so the heat in the this problem, office all done. The problem is, at least in my case, I'm, I'm still having to encode it on the Windows machine. Like, that's the problem. To get it to the, the second machine, I have to crunch it down to something that will feed over a network pretty pretty efficiently, right? So I have to I have to do the initial encode still on the Windows machine. So I did not solve that problem. NDI huh. would have solved that problem. Yeah, yeah. But I can't use NDI. So... So that's what brought me to the thing about like, should I encode on the GPU? Should I use the CPU? Because the GPU is way more efficient, but I need it to play games, et cetera, et cetera. You should so do it, the GPU. Yeah. So it sounds like GPU is the way to go. So I'm, I'm definitely going to do that. But um, anyway, I, I can help you with bitrate and stuff on X264. It's possible you can get the bitrate high enough on X264 that it's hardly doing any CPU work at all. So too. that's yeah. Like the way that CPU usage scales with bitrate is is a little bit of a black it's, box it, to me. It's 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 not the way you would think it is. The, right. In order to get a lower bitrate at the same quality level, your CPU you usage goes way up. Yeah, so it's, it almost to, an, it's almost an inverse relationship, right? Like it the, is. The lower yeah. the bitrate, the higher the cpu that's exactly it um but it, practically in experience uh what i've seen is pretty high cpu usage even at high bit rates so i don't know what is behind that um, um huh it may, it may be that you're using it for something they didn't anticipate and you can't get the settings to where you want is, them to be it, it is possible that stuff is just an what? arcane holy shit what? man what a rabbit I, I hole would, I would think you'd want the CPU usage to be on ultra or something like that. Like the, instead of very fast, which is the default for most people, you want it to be on like oh, ultra fast or something like that. Because, that's because if you're, if you're at a super high bit rate, you don't need to crunch. Exactly. Code as hard, right? Oh, I didn't even yeah. think about that. Oh yeah. I so should flip that flag. That's going to bring your CPU utilization yeah. way down at, at like a 50 megabit or hundred megabit. So I, I've been trying between like 40 and 60 megabits over my network. Cause why not? Because it's just so a local network and it's going to a machine that has terabytes of free space. So I can just write that giant file right out. So the downside of this approach is you're going to add a ton of latency because you're so, going to add latency on the on the OBS so code. And then again, on the, yeah. So this works like I, I've streamed successfully to Twitch and had an archive file come out like it. It, it is working to purpose. Um, OK, the that is basically the last major speed bump is that I'm currently the best latency I've gotten to Twitch is around seven to eight seconds. I don't think you're going to get better than that. Yeah, that's, but I that's could my, be wrong. That, that is my fear. Um, so like, like even NDI adds a good 300, 400 milliseconds of latency in my yeah, experience. Right. So and I, and I need to come up with a way to test what the latency specifically is between the windows, the initial windows encode and the receiving on the box before it streams out to Twitch. Like, you know, I can ping that machine, oh. but that's not the, that's, you know, that's a different protocol. I'm not going to so get you, it. So you can connect, can you, so pipe the, um, pipe the output of the FMPEG into a VLC window and then capture the VLC window. I would have to, put a, so, put I would have to up. so I would have to reverse the process and do that from the headless NAS to the windows machine to actually see that output. Yeah. And you, and so Which if you, I guess, ca so if you put up a clock with this, with a second hand on right. your screen overlay, yes. And then you capture that. And you send that to that and send it back and you capture a VLC window at the oh same time. You'll see exactly what the latency is. That's too much. But does I that mean, separate the, out the latency? Because I, I need to know what the latency is between Windows and NAS and not and cut out the, the latency from NAS to Twitch. That'll 
I don't know like, about that. Like, I need to know how much of that eight seconds is happening on my land and how much is happening as probably as it mostly goes out. on Twitch. Yeah, that's that's my what guess I is my guess is you're getting half a second on the land and right. then another half half a second to two seconds on the encode. I, I feel like I feel like we've probably lost like seventy five percent of the audience at this point, but. Um, a lot of the time I've spent over the last week, week and a half fighting with this is trying different protocols, sending the video across the network. And that's what made me realize, like, you know, any video can kind of be packaged in any kind of container and then in kind any kind of protocol. Right. Like, well, it's up to like the like endpoints what they speak. Well, right. Totally. You, yes, yeah. absolutely. But but in a case where I'm using a really uh, robust tool like FFmpeg that can kind of accept anything like. Yeah. I'm basically like I'm packaging a video that is H.264 uh, and I've tried FLAC and AAC for audio. Packaging that in different types of transport containers like FLV or MPEG-TS. And right. Then, and then you package that in a range of protocols from <laughs> UDP to TCP to SRT. Like I've wow. tried all these different protocols. Uh, I know this is... It's, it's like and this I, is this is an offensive level of detail. I'm sorry. I'll be impressed. I'm impressed you've gotten this to work. It, it works. Like, this like is I said, like I said, it, it smoothly. I've gotten it to smoothly stream to Twitch. Uh, it's just that latency that I'm trying to optimize as much as I can. I wonder. Um, I wonder how much. Like I wonder if I ran this in my garage, how much my CPU overhead would go like down. I can. How I much can my show you. Here would go down. I I could show you how I've done it because I would love to have another data point in on somebody else's LAN and and machine setup to see what yeah. yours, your latency is like. I hope that this um, is going to be a free NAS forum post at some point in the ah, future. I mean, I, I, I am in, I fully intend to do a little video on giant bomb showing oh, cool. how this works at some point. It's just, it's just not where I need it to be yet. Um, although it kind of is like if I can't yeah, get that latency like down much more there. and, it, and, yeah. it, and it, it does exactly what I want where it's sending Twitch appropriate quality to Twitch. And then I'm also getting this nice high quality file that I can upload straight to the site. Um, yeah, that's really cool. It's, it's nice. And, and like I said, uh, FFmpeg supports multiple outputs or or a kind of a pseudo mixer sort of thing. Yeah. So I could actually I can actually send that same encode to Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, like whatever. You can you can that as far as I understand, I haven't tried it yet, is only constrained by your upload, by your upstream yeah. bandwidth. So you can just send that same you can kind of multiplex that own, same feed out to all those different streaming services at once. Be your own restream.io. Uh, I don't know if I'll bother with that stuff, but the the main thing was I just wanted to I just wanted to get CPU usage down on my main computer so I could play games on it instead. Yeah, dude, that uh, makes a it, ton of sense. It seems like it's working. So it sounds like uh, I should be using the video card and code there. I would. Um, well, I think I think CPU ultra fast might be faster than the video card and code, but you should test them. Both. Oh, you're right. I should. I should. I'm totally going to give that a shot. That's a that's a good call. Yeah, this has been a lot. This has been a lot. This has been. a Yeah, you've had a journey here. Um, So, yeah, anyway, that's it. Um, I guess on streaming, if you all have specific questions, as always, you can email them to techpod at content.town. I think we're due for a question episode next week. Yeah. Um, So uh, we'll I I bet we'll have a lot of questions about this. Um, If, if, If one of your questions is, why would you do this to yourself? I don't have a good answer. Sometimes sometimes it's, you know, without suffering. What's the point of life, Brad? That's true. That's the, that's, true. that's the, you know, I've, I've learned a tremendous amount through this whole process about a bunch of different topics that I didn't know a lot about before. And I'd have to say a big thank you to some people on our discord for, uh, their, their generous time and expertise, helping me build the BSD port of FFmpeg with SRT support enabled. Which Wait, you had to compile, you literally compiled software I com- for this. I, I compiled a new version of FFmpeg, but it, it was the, it was the BSD port specifically because it has a bunch of, you know, OS specific patches applied to it. Oh yeah. And I spent 
with a couple of developers on our Discord, spent way too much time Sunday night going through the makefile for that thing and adding a bunch of flags and so forth to uh, to get that thing to build. And it worked. It came out with a usable binary that let me try streaming SRT across the network. So here's a scary question. Is how long is this going to keep working before some dependency breaks and you have to recompile it again? Well, I'm, I'm probably not going to use SRT because it has not helped with the latency problem. Like, oh, okay. I, the, okay. The, the, the difference in latency between SRT and like, I've literally just using a straight up TCP connection to send the video and the latency is about the same. Well, TCP because, on a LAN should be fine because, because it's a LAN, right? Like, yeah. like they're, those machines are plugged into the same switch. Like they're separated by a dozen feet of Ethernet cable. The, the, the short version of why TCP and UDP are different is that TCP expects you, the receiver, to say, hey, I got this. Yes, there's a handshake. And UDP just is like a fire hose. UDP just sprays packets and doesn't you, care yeah. where they go or if they even get there in the first place. It yeah, just there's keeps a, bucket, a bucket on one end and a hose on the other and let, <laughs> let, let God sort out the mess. UDP is like that drunk asshole at the bar who just pees all over the toilet seat and doesn't care. Oh, he just sprays it everywhere. I hate that guy. Drunken packets, man. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think I think that's it. The downside of your thing is that you can't do overlays. But if you're running them on OBS on your local oh, machine, no, any, it should be anything fine. Anything that yeah, comes out of OBS yeah, is yeah, fine. Yeah. Like, it, it literally, I can't, there's nothing I can't do with the old setup and the new setup. Like the, oh, man. The, it's pretty exciting. I'm going to, oh, that, that's a hot tip about the uh, the lower CPU encode at a higher bit rate. Yeah, now you've given me a project. Thanks, uh, Brad. We will talk later if you want to. If you would, if you, if you yeah. sure you want to tumble down this rabbit hole, we can um, talk. On, you can just on, watch that video that I will eventually make. On the very short project update note, I figured out that my home assistant problem we talked about a little bit last week isn't uh, related to my network, but it's a re- related to the NAS. So we're oh, making progress. Good. Yeah, but it, just take it, take an axe to the NAS. I just it's it's a BSD problem. <laughs> it seems like anyway. Dude, we, we got to switch to Linux. I, I need this, I need like a thousand dollars worth of hard drives before why? I can maybe well I mean I guess I could mount the I'm well, worried the, the about ZFS, mounting the ZFS pool should, quote, should asterisk should, should import, import right into another system with that's what I'm afraid of unless that pool was created with flags that the ZFS on the other system does not support right. yeah and you know how I'm gonna uh, find that out by, by going trying through to a whole it. process but yeah. but, it, there, but the pool is OS agnostic you could you could literally boot like into Ubuntu live. USB stick and try oh. it. I believe. I think the USB version, eh, the USB version may not have anyway. ZFS support, but like there, there are non-destructive ways for you to test that and see if it works. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> we have a laundry list of things to talk about. Yeah. Um, off, off the air. <laughs> and, and you know, a great place to talk about things off the air is the tech pod Patreon, which you can gain access to by going yeah. to patreoncom slash tech pod and yeah. signing up for, uh, to support the show. Uh, for as little as $2 a month, you get access to the Patreon where you can have conversations like Brad's about learning to compile oh, stuff. Like, boy. It, dude, it is such a, I, 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 I say this every week and it's becoming a, a bit, but like, it is incredible. The stuff that I learn just being in the discord Yeah, and the range of expertise, you know, you know what I, you know what I did yesterday as I went into the food channel. Oh, I saw. And this, this, this really happened. This was not a contrivance, but, um, I fell asleep on the couch a couple nights ago and left dinner sitting out on the stove. And I was just like, I wonder if there are any microbiologists in our community that have not revealed themselves yet. Okay, so <laughs> I'm gonna go in there and ask and just see what kind of answers I get. <laughs> I, I, here's a this is a constant source of frustration from me and my marital relationship because my wife has a very lax understanding or care about bacterial growth at sure. different temperatures, and thus 
throws things out that don't need to be thrown out and also keeps things on the counter for terrifying lengths of time and then eats them. Wait, so you're saying she's not consistent? She's all over the place. Okay, and it's because we don't teach microbiology yeah. to everyone. Yeah. So I think, I think that we should. I, so I was at a conference a few years ago. I met a food safety scientist, like a scientist who does food safety stuff to determine what the laws are about food safety. And we had a lovely conversation and the TLDR was that we need to have microbiology and food safety taught in every high school in the country. Um, but you know what? If we can't do that, I'm going to see if we can get that person on the on the podcast oh, as yeah. a guest so we can we talk can about this because this is good. Service. Sorry, somebody's ringing my front doorbell. Um, oh, no, it's OK. Uh, what's the what's the, what's the hard cutoff? What's the hour number for you? Because this, this was about eight to nine hours and it was pasta. So it would be very easy to reheat thoroughly. Well, so the problem with reheating thoroughly is it kills whatever has been growing. But but if the thing that makes you sick, like salmonella or botulism, is actually a toxin oh, it's, produced it's the, it's by the just, bacteria, it's just the waste products. Oh, heating no. it doesn't actually make you not sick. Ooh. The good news is if you were if you've eaten it, you'd already be sick by now. So you have probably not eaten fine. it yet. So now you've put the fear of God in me. <laughs> so eight. Okay. So here's the thing: eight hours is not great. It's probably okay for pasta depending on what else is in there let's like see seafood chicken um uncooked chicken it was i, I would not do it's a pretty basic pasta with some pesto and onions and like ground turkey ah but it was it was very you're, thoroughly you're cooked fine. to begin with yeah so so like the thing the thing to remember is the thing that you're worried about is bacterial growth rate and that's exponential based on temperature so if you starting it around like a little bit below body temperature and going up to like 120 fahrenheit you're in like bacterial growth sweet spot okay and once you get above that it starts killing off the bacteria so their growth slows down so that's fine once you get below that it slows slows their growth so they don't replicate as much it's only when it's in that sweet spot and if your house was at like 68 degrees you're probably kind of okay this is getting highly technical the the actual yeah. process i believe this was already a reheat we've been we've been doing a lot of bulk cooking yeah, you're like if it's like we, we cooked if it you're a couple pasteurizing nights before, it accidentally, you're probably OK. <laughs> we could, we, it was cooked a couple nights before eaten and immediately put away. And then it was gotten out that night and reheated. Yeah. And to eat some more of it. And then well, so, and that's when it got left out. So it's been cooked a lot. So the neat thing, the neat thing that's happened in the last few years is that because sous vide tools are readily accessible and relatively inexpensive now like you can ultra pasteurize stuff at home if you want right you can just do something at a really low temperature where it doesn't affect the food for a really long period of time so you can kill all of the bacteria and something and all the fungus and something yeah uh, anyway this is a conversation for a different day but you can find out about ultra pasteurization. such a conversation yeah, yeah. there's there's hey. there's no end of expertise on that discord and i find it just constantly edifying. I love getting to use my biology degree every every decade Wait, or two. Do you have a biology degree? Yeah, I was a biochem major. Oh dude. my god! All right, we'll talk about it later. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, TechPod. Uh, sorry, Patreon.com/slash/TechPod. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you to our uh, executive producer level patrons, including David Allen, Andrew Cotton, and Jacob Chapel. Thank you guys so much. And uh, everybody who supports the Patreon, thank you all so much uh, at all levels. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Questions next week. Send your questions in. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.